Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, so we've been over the past few weeks, uh, how long have we been in John, James? Two years. Congrats. Two years. We've been kind of weaving our way in and out of John, and we've taken pause and, and done some other studies in between, but we've been kind of working through the gospel of John. When we say the gospel of John, here's what we mean. John, one of the apostles appointed by Jesus, wrote a book about the life, uh, work, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and soon return of Jesus. That's the good news. That's why we call it the gospel. The gospel just means good news. It's the good news according to the apostle John. So we've been going through that for about two years um, off and on. And in the Gospel of John, it's weird. He starts off fast and slows down, and like half the book is about like three or four days covering the life of Jesus, particularly the end of the life of Jesus on the earth. And so we've looked at really in depth this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in an upper room just before his crucifixion. He uh, had celebrated with them a thing called the Passover meals, the Jewish Passover. And we'll talk more about that on the Good Friday service. We will talk a lot about the Passover meal and the Messiah, Jesus, and things like that. So I encourage you to, to be part of that. What time, Tim? 7 o'clock. Friday. 7 o'clock Friday. And uh, um, Tim, I love you, brother. Tim helps me when I, when I need help. So thank you, Tim. Um, so in this upper room, the disciples... Can you imagine what's going on? Jesus has been walking with them their whole life, and we've talked about this over the, or his uh, whole earthly ministry, about three and a half years. So they're walking along in the earth. They're doing ministry with Jesus. They're seeing Jesus do crazy things. And they're walk, they've learned that they're actually walking with God the Son in the flesh. Can you imagine how that feels? Now in this upper room, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, uh, I'm leaving. It's going to be a short time, and you're not going to see me anymore. In fact, he's telling, him, telling them, and John told us, he was, he was telling them about the way he was going to die. He was going to be crucified. Um, so the disciples have got to have their world rocked right now. Uh, last week, we studied where Jesus gave them the promise of heaven, right? He's, he's trying to assure them, let not, not your hearts be troubled. I will come to you again, and I will receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. I mean, that's real hope, right? Um, as hard as this life could be, it can also be beautiful, but it can be hard. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'll come get you. That's great hope. That's heaven. Um, so, but check it out. While heaven is awesome for all of us in the room right now, if you're, even if you're a follower, well, only if you're a follower of Jesus, but heaven is future, isn't it? It's not right now. Now, it may be one second away or 100 years away. For, we, none of us know our time, right? But for all of us in here right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, heaven is future. Well, great. <laughs> what, what about right now? Jesus, you've given me hope for the future. My, I feel that because I've placed my, my trust in Jesus alone for forgiveness of my sins and for salvation, for reconciliation between me and God, I've got heaven sewed up because of Jesus. That's awesome. 
What's my hope for, for right now? Because I look around and don't see Jesus. Y'all see Jesus? Where's Jesus? What's our hope? Well, Jesus is getting to that right now when he's talking to the disciples here in this upper room. Jesus goes further. He says, not just hope for the future. You can have hope right now. And not just hope, you can have real power for living right now. And not just hope and power, but you can actually have the literal presence of God in your life right now, even though Jesus has gone away. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture, but in these verses, Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so we've seen that the Father has introduced the Son at Jesus' baptism. We saw a glimpse of the Holy Spirit there, but now Jesus, God the Son, introduces us to the person of the Holy Spirit. So we're in John chapter 14. If you got your copy of the Word of God, John chapter 14, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. If you have, we read from the ESV Bible up here, and I know that lots of you have different translations. In some of your translations, there's a break before verse 15, and some it's after verse 15. It's all good. Those, tra- those breaks are like man inserted, so they're not like flawless or whatever. Um, but in the one, the one I'm reading from, verse 15 is after the break. So we'll start at verse 15 and read through verse 31, the end of the chapter. John chapter 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Jesus is talking about his crucifixion here. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Continue in verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So again, here Jesus mentions 
the Holy Spirit. Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Sounds like a weird question to ask in a church setting because we mention the Holy Spirit often, but actually, who is the Holy Spirit? I think uh, it's going to be good for us to dig in a little bit today and talk about who the Holy Spirit is because there's actually a lot of misunderstanding in Christian circles about the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look then at the identity of the Holy Spirit. You know, outside of Jesus' payment, uh, what we call atonement for our sins and us being reconciled with God through Him, I can't think of anything of greater importance in the life of the Christian than knowing, understanding, and living with the Holy Spirit. I can't think of anything more important as we walk through this difficult Christian life. Um, So I think it's going to be great for us to look at understanding the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. Without an understanding of of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does, I I don't see how we can mature in our walk with the Lord or how we can grow in our walk with the Lord, because it's the Holy Spirit who does those things in our lives. So some of you, um, if you were to use the term Holy Spirit around your friends and family, you might get some funny looks. How many of you have, um, have ever even just mentioned the word God or the Spirit or I felt like um, I was uh, in tune with the Spirit of God today? You ever said anything like that and gotten a weird look? From someone now in Asheville, you know we have we have an it's a weird thing here. We have an increasingly secular, naturalistic culture where any talk of the spiritual seems kind of weird in some cases. But in Asheville, where we live, you could talk about all kinds of spirits, just not the holy one, right? Like we live in a weird situation. But today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Even in our um, a lot of our churches. Um, I mean, I hear some people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Um, some people see the Holy Spirit as like a, like a mystical force that can be tapped into in some way or unleashed in your life um, in some way. Some people read the King James rendering of the term Holy Spirit as Holy Ghost. And because they either knowingly or unknowingly have mixed in other views than the Bible with their thinking, they, they put like ideas of like ghosts on the Spirit of God, right? And so they, they can come up with weird things that way. Um, some Christians, and we could err in talking about the Holy Spirit, usually on two polar opposites. Some Christians um, basically act like there's only two members of the Trinity, you know, like, they don't talk about the Holy Spirit now. We love Jesus and we love the Father, but that Holy Spirit, that's for the crazy people, right? That's for, that's for like, the emotional people. We don't really talk about that in here. We talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're very reserved, and we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I was afraid things might get a little out of hand, right? And so if we err on that side of things, then we are depriving ourselves of knowing God fully, and of the power of God to be at work in our lives. How can you be in tune with the Spirit of God's work in your life if you don't really feel comfortable even bringing up the Spirit of God? Right? We can err on that side of things. And, and on the other side of things, Christians can pretend like the Holy Spirit is the totality of God. They don't focus on Jesus or His, His payment for our sin or the glory of the Father and that the Son and the Spirit are in service to the Father and they can err in in getting unbiblical ideas and thinking like the Holy Spirit is like an add-on 
that you can ask God for, right? So we, we, we don't want to err on either side. We want, to, we want to split the Bible right in the middle and divide it properly. And so we want to do that today. We're going to look at the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, uh, throughout the Gospel of John so far, has mentioned different aspects of the Holy Spirit. But today, he kind of lays it out a little bit and exposes us to some, some details about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to use today as like a... Uh, this is going to be like an intro to the Holy Spirit day, okay? Jesus introduces us to this new concept. He, he's telling his disciples it should give them great hope. Maybe it'll give us great hope today too. I hope that it will. Um, so the picture of the Christian view of God is coming into view here, just so you know. Um, we'll see how the Christian life can be lived as we look at um, the Holy Spirit so like I said, beginning with the um, learning about the Holy Spirit begins with understanding his identity. The first thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit's identity is this, if you're a note taker. He's a person. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Notice I've been referring to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, it's one of the first things we really need to understand. He's not like an influence or a power, although he's powerful, he's not a force. He's not some impersonal instrument that God uses. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, the member of the one being who is a trinity, right? The Christian view of God is that, um, do you guys have that, that slide next, that trinity slide? Let's go ahead and pull that up. This is the Christian view of God, right? That there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and now they're not each other. But all of them together are God. Does that make sense? Now, if you have more questions, I know the Holy Spirit, uh, or the Trinity rather, can be a confusing topic. We've already done a sermon on this called Who is God? And so I'll have, uh, Bo where's Boaz? You can put a link in the, the YouTube description for our, a sermon I did called Who is God? Here with Reach Life. So if this is a little confusing to you, it's all good. We're trying to understand God. It's okay to be a little bit confused, right? Uh, no one's like God. Um, so, but the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father. The Holy Spirit is equal with the Son. They are all the one God. Um, so in a sense, you might think of the Holy Spirit as, um, um, well, not in a sense, in every way. Think of the Holy Spirit as a person, just like the Father is a person and the Son is a person. Notice that Jesus in our text today identifies the Holy Spirit with the title Helper. A helper is a person. We'll talk more about the idea of helper later. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit in our text, he says, will be with you forever. It means he's not just a person. He's an eternal person who has an actual presence. He can be with you. So he's not some wispy, temporary power source, okay? He's a person. Jesus said in verse 17 that you can know the Spirit, sort of in a personal way. In verse 26, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. He's talking to his disciples. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. And he says that the Holy Spirit will remind them of everything that Jesus taught. You realize these people were the ones getting ready to write the Bible, the New Testament. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything that I taught. So these things that the Holy Spirit will teach and the Holy Spirit will remind means that the Holy Spirit is a person. People teach. People remind one another of what other people have said. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
And again, not just any kind of person, but we talked about this, a member of the one triune God. Holy Spirit's a person, and he's a member of the one triune God. He's not part of God. God doesn't have parts, but he's a member. He's a member of the Trinity. And that one's closed, by the way. We can't join. We can't join the Trinity. There's only one. We'll never be God, but thankfully, he is God. So again, if you have questions about that, check out that uh, YouTube video, the sermon that we did, um, or you can, you can talk to me also. So those of you who follow Reach Life on Facebook uh, may have seen that I said that Jesus, in introducing the disciples to the person of the Holy Spirit, was introducing his replacement. That sound weird? That Jesus would introduce his replacement. Uh, maybe sounds a little controversial. Now, let's be sure, the Holy Spirit couldn't take Jesus' place in terms of paying our sin debt before God. That took a human being to do that. It took a man to die for men and women in our place. That's why Jesus, God the Son, added humanity to his divinity to die in our place. So the Holy Spirit couldn't do that. Um, but he would take Jesus' place as being the presence of God among Jesus' followers. Pick back up with me in verse 15 and 17. Let's read that again. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So remember the scene here. Jesus is about to leave the disciples to be crucified. Right? We're going we're to remember that this coming Good Friday. He's going to be gone for three days, buried in a tomb. They will not see him, but he will rise again. We will celebrate that Sunday, what I call Resurrection Sunday. Right? We will celebrate that. Then, a lot of people forget, Jesus spent 40 days proving to his disciples that he, he had risen from the dead. We forget about that. Jesus uh, bodily, in his resurrected body, went around to his disciples. He told them, I will come to you again, and you will know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and that you are in me. So Jesus did that for 40 days. But then, after the 40 days, he's going to leave again to go back to heaven. And he's going to stay there until he returns as king here. So he's getting ready to leave. And again, they knew Jesus. I mean, in, in human terms, Jesus was their closest friend. They walked with him. You know, they called him rabbi. And, they, and the rabbis would have their disciples walk in their dust as they went down. The, they were close. They lived together. They did life together. They ate meals together. And they, importantly, worshipped Jesus, who was their best friend, but they also worshipped him rightly as the living God. So they drew a lot of comfort, a lot of peace from Jesus' presence. Can you imagine if your best friend in the world was your roommate? You guys were together all the time, and he happened to be God. So what if somebody breaks into your house? He's got this, <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, literally... It would take a whole lot to shake you, wouldn't it? Talk about being like clicked up. I'm walking around with Jesus. I, I, you would feel bulletproof, would you not? Jesus is walking around with you, and he's God in the flesh. But now Jesus says, I'm leaving. He says, I'm leaving, so what are they going to do? Now, let's pause here. It's significant that Jesus 
says that what he's about to say, this receiving of the Holy Spirit, is only for his true followers. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the evidence of a true disciple. If you love Jesus. And the evidence that you love Jesus is that you do what he says. Because <laughs> he's God, right? He's not just like your other best friend. He's God. So the evidence that we love him and trust him with our lives is that we keep his commandments. And to the true disciples then, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit. So in a sense, Jesus is promising to send a replacement for himself. I'm going away, but I'm sending a replacement. Now, think with me, who in the world, what kind of person can replace Jesus? What kind of person can replace Jesus? What kind of person is this this helper? That Jesus is going to send in his place. Jesus says he will give you, he and the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word another in your New Testament there is really, really, really important. Because the New Testament was originally written in Greek. That Greek word that's used there is really important. In the Greek language, there are two words. Hang, in, hang with me. This is important. This is, I know this is like academic, but this is important. The Greek language has two words for another. One is heteros and one is alos. Okay? Heteros means two things are people that are distinct in number and different in essence. Right? Okay, so in the English language, we get the word like heterosexual from referring to a relationship between two people of the opposite sex. Heteros, they're not the same, they're distinct in number, and they're not the same. The second word for another in the Greek language is alos. And that means something that is distinct in number, yes, but it is of the same essence. And in describing the Holy Spirit here, Jesus uses the word alos. He says, I will send you another helper, alos. And so it's, it's different in person. The Holy Spirit is diff a different person than Jesus, but he's the same in essence as Jesus. He's, the, he's also God, just as Jesus is God. So we might translate what Jesus says here. He will give you another of the same kind of helper that he may be with you forever. Jesus says, I'm sending someone just like me, just like me, just like me. Now, some people get this, um, this word helper a little bit twisted, and they think that the Holy Spirit is somehow our servant, like waiting on our command. No, no, no. He's a helper, but he's God, okay? We bow to him. We follow his direction, not vice versa, okay? We, we, we follow the Spirit's guide. We follow the Spirit's leading, not ask the Spirit to follow our leading. Does that make sense? So don't get the idea of helper um, mixed up there. He's God, and, and we follow him. So he's not our help, not uh, our servant, but check this out. Get your head around this. Way, way, way back in Genesis 3, if you remember, uh, it's been a while since we've been there as a church, but the Bible says that at the creation account, it was the Spirit of God that hovered over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's the person we're talking about here. Holy Spirit is creator as much as the Father and the Son. are. They, all the Trinity was involved in creation. So this person that Jesus is talking about sending to be with you and in you 
is the Spirit of God, the Creator. And the Bible tells us that in just, in just a few days from this time, and we'll celebrate this next Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus says that it was the Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead. Talk about help. It's amazing. Talk about help. He says it was the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead. So now Jesus is saying to these disciples, these devoted followers of his, and if you're a devoted follower of his today, he's saying to you, this same spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that was involved in creation, let there be light. It was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. Will live in you. I, anybody have trouble getting your head around that? But that's what Jesus is promising. Jesus is promising that the Holy Spirit of God will take up residence in your life. So we've talked about the Holy Spirit as a helper and that he comes alongside. And let's talk about how we can know him. Because remember I said he's not just a power, like you don't like plug yourself into the Spirit and I've got power to live. No, he's a person, right? Let's talk about knowing. You know people. You realize you can actually know the Spirit of God. You really can. You really can. Here, one way we can know the person of the Spirit is we can, we can look at the titles he's given in Scripture. Check it out. There are 87 titles. We're not going to do them all today. Congratulations. 87 titles given to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. But here in our text today, Jesus gives us two titles, Helper and Spirit of Truth. It's interesting that Jesus uses the term helper, or in Greek, it's, a, it's called uh, paraclete, to describe the Holy Spirit. That's the same title that John gives, the, the writer of this gospel, it's the same title he gives to Jesus later in 1 John, when John writes a letter to the early church. He gives Jesus that same title, paraclete. John says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That word's paraclete. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation or payment for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So now it makes sense, maybe, we start clicking things together, why Jesus said he would send another helper like himself, an advocate, a paraclete like himself. It means someone who comes alongside. It was, a, it was like a courtroom. Was, the, the Holy Spirit would be your defense lawyer, Right? It's an advocate. That's what a paraclete is. It literally means it's one called alongside. So it's the perfect picture to have in mind when Jesus says, I'm leaving, guys. I'm leaving. It's a little while longer and you won't see me anymore. But I'm going to send someone to come alongside you, just like I've been alongside you. And in another place in Scripture, Jesus actually says it's better, better that he leaves so that the Holy Spirit can live inside you. That's amazing. Not only walking with Jesus, walking with God in the flesh, but now God is in me. Now, you don't become God, but God takes up residence in your life. Um, so when Jesus says, you do not need to be afraid, don't be troubled, I'm calling the Holy Spirit to come alongside you. He will be with you, and he will be in you. He'll be everything to you that I was while I was here walking with you on these Jerusalem streets. The Holy Spirit will be that to you. So if the Holy Spirit is an advocate, 
The idea that an advocate exists means two things. It means somebody's in trouble. Somebody needs an advocate. And it means that someone else, the advocate, is coming to rescue the person who's in trouble. So maybe that's a good way of understanding what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. We're the ones who find ourselves in trouble. Everybody agree? We're troubled by our own sin nature. We're troubled by the enemy of our souls. We're troubled by the strains of life. We uh, may get persecuted. We all have demands that are bigger than we are. We have doubts. We have fears. And the one person who Jesus has promised to come alongside you and be in you, in your trouble, is the Holy Spirit. He's a helper. Now, thankfully, Jesus also refers to him as the spirit of truth. He calls him a helper, calls him the spirit of truth. Remember last week, Jesus called himself the truth, didn't he? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus says. So now, he's called himself the truth, and he's calling the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. The spirit is related to truth throughout the Bible. Um, I'll just give you a couple um, you don't have to write these down, but just for context, in Second uh, Timothy and Second Peter, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the giver of truth who inspired the writers of the Bible. Right? So check it. The person that Jesus said can live in you is his follower, or it does live in you if you're his, if you're his follower, is the same spirit of truth that inspired dudes to write the Bible. That's what you have access to. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it says that he alone can reveal the truth about God because we're spiritually blind. We don't see well. And he says that we, the Holy Spirit personally reveals to us the truth about ourselves when he convicts us about our sins. Ephesians and Romans tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who seals the truth of the gospel in our hearts. So that when he convicts us of our sin, at the same time he says, listen, there's a payment for your sin in Jesus Christ the righteous. You're not righteous. Do you feel that? Yeah, I know it. Well, guess what? Jesus is righteous. You feel that? That's from the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He edifies Jesus. He points us to Jesus. And then again, in John's letters to the churches, he says that... um, the Spirit of God says that Jesus alone is adequate to pay for our sins. So all of these are in reference to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Let's do some math. You ready? If the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, think about the amazing life that God offers you if you live according to the Spirit of God. If He's a helper, if He's like Jesus, and He's the source of truth about you, the source of truth about God, Think about what he he offers. In times of great confusion, you don't have to be confused. You can know God regardless of what life looks like, right? In your guilt, in the shame that you feel, you really can have freedom from bearing the weight of your own sin. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts you of the sin. It's the Holy Spirit who says, you know what? Only Jesus can pay for that, and guess what? He has. That's freedom, you guys. That's what the Spirit of God offers us. The Spirit of God says and offers us power that you don't have to be a slave to your sinful thoughts, deeds, and motives anymore. 
You really don't. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe you can, you can nod your eyeballs at me. Anybody know what it feels like to be a slave to sin? I, I'll raise my hand. I know what it feels like. It is no fun. And the Lord hates it, and by His grace, I hate it too. Spirit of God says you don't have to be a slave. He came to set you free. Now listen, it doesn't mean you'll be sinless, but you will sin less, right? You will sin less. It's that there's a, there's a, uh, a progressive growth in righteousness that the Spirit of God wants to and can and will as you yield to Him work in your life. You really can experience freedom. Thought, deed, and motive. You really can. Not because you're great and powerful enough to accomplish that, but because the Spirit of God is great and powerful enough to accomplish that in your life. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Um, in a, word, a world of like voices where everybody claims to have the truth, but none of them agree with each other and they just get louder, the Spirit of God tells us what the truth is. The Spirit of God points out to us what deception looks like. He's the Spirit of truth. In the storms of our lives, when things get really hard, we're not alone. God doesn't only walk with us, He walks in us. So that's life with the Holy Spirit. But remember, Jesus pointed out that the Holy Spirit is only received by followers of Jesus. Right? He says in verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So the, the world just means people without Jesus. Now, we were once just part of the world, cruising along. We didn't know God, right? So Jesus is referring to people who do not know him as Savior. And according to the words of Jesus himself, people like that, people like everybody's natural default setting is, cannot receive the Spirit. You receive the Spirit through faith in Jesus, right? So Jesus here is drawing a very uncomfortable but very clear line in the sand. The Holy Spirit is the lone source of the real presence of God in the life of a human being. And without Him, you can't know God. Um, and you can only receive the Holy Spirit by receiving Jesus. Um, so, if according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the source of wisdom and discernment and the presence of God and peace and power for Christian living and things like that in our lives... Let's do the other half of the math equation I talked about. What does that mean for people who don't know God, who don't have the Holy Spirit operating in their lives because they've rejected Jesus? No understanding of God. No freedom from and power over destructive, sinful thoughts, deeds, and motives. They're slaves. No discernment about God in the world where it's desperately needed. No deep indwelling peace, lasting peace through the storms of life. Man, I, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not his disciple, you're not committed to him, not trusting in him alone for your life and your eternity, think about what you're missing out on. I mean, like, seriously. You're missing out. You could live life on your own, struggling as hard as you can to make it, you know, experience the most pleasure possible and experience the least pain as possible. Or you can walk through life with the Spirit of God. Let Him guide you. Let Him empower you. Um, 
So think about what you're missing out on if you don't have him. Here's the most uh, astounding thing for me, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. Verse 16 says, And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever, ever. The Holy Spirit is forever present in the lives of Jesus' disciples. Remember, they're in the upper room. Jesus is getting ready to go away. Jesus says, I'm leaving. But this Holy Spirit I'm, I'm sending to live with you and in you never leaves. He's always present. Think about it. In G- Jesus remained God, but he had to die for humanity, so he had to also become a man so he could die in our place. So in doing so, he had to limit himself in certain ways because, like, God can't die. You follow me? Um, God um, doesn't need anything. He's never thirsty, never hungry. Well, Jesus added humanity onto his divinity. And so he thirsts and was beaten and died in our place. And one of the, the things that Jesus had to limit himself in the human body, he could be only in one place at a time. These disciples were with him everywhere he went, and they were usually together. So they're always with Jesus. But now Jesus is saying he's not going to be in that place. Uh, A great picture of this is something we've already studied already in the Gospel of John. Jesus had just performed a miracle. He fed about 8,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. It's crazy. And so he tells the disciples, listen, I want you guys to go over there. Across, take this uh, boat to the sea of Gal- on the Sea of Galilee. I want you to go in that direction. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go up on a mountain by myself to pray to the Father. So the whole, the, um, the whole bunch of disciples get in a boat. They go out on the Sea of Galilee. Where's Jesus? He's on the mountain praying, right? A storm comes while they're on the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples are, are terrified. Uh, yeah, we're going to die. And... They see somebody walking on the sea. That's a freaky thing, right? We thought we were scared of the storm. We're really scared now, you know? Um, so here comes this, this person walking, and what's the first thing Jesus says to them? Don't be afraid, it's me. Don't be afraid of the storm or this, this thing. You see a person walking on the sea, don't be afraid. Why? It's me, Jesus says. And the disciples were no longer afraid. Why? Because the presence of Jesus was now with them in the boat. Made all the difference. Made all the difference. The presence of God himself made them stop freaking out. Um, The point I'm making is that Jesus was not in the boat with the disciples at first. He had limited himself in his humanity. He couldn't be in in, in all places and with all believers at all times. But check it out. These same disciples were getting ready to be scattered by persecution. They were going to be driven out of the city. Many of them would go voluntarily out of the city as missionaries, and all of them needed the presence of God with them everywhere they went, every day, all the time. Jesus, in his humanity, could not do that. Jesus says, it's better that I go away. I'm sending the Spirit of God, and whether you're in the midst of turmoil as a missionary being stoned or beheaded in some country, 
or whether you're gathered over here planting a church, or whether you're pumping gas nowadays, or you're sitting in your office chair wondering what life is really about and I hate my job, or you're in some relationship that's whacked out and you don't know what to do, Jesus says the Spirit of God is with you and in you. The Spirit of God should bring us the same kind of peace that the presence of Jesus in the boat with the disciples brought to the disciples. I think if we really get it, Because we can't see Jesus, sometimes we feel like he's far away. God is not far away. He is with you. Listen, even if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you may not realize this, but the Spirit of God is at work in your life too. If you're here today, if you're watching this on YouTube, if if your Christian friend keeps mentioning the word Jesus to you, if um, if you have questions about, man, I've got this problem of guilt in my heart, what do I do with it? Those types of things are evidence that the Spirit of God is working in your life too. He really is. And if you commit your life to Jesus and trust Him, not only will the Spirit walk with you, He will live in you. You can have the very presence of God. If if your life is a boat, He's in it. He's in it, okay? That's for all followers of Jesus. So, again, these disciples were shaken we are sometimes shaken, often. Me, if I'm talking about me, a few times I'm not shaken, right? I usually am shaken in some, quarter, some sort of way. But we can know that, that Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit who will be with us forever. So let's think about this as a moment. We're needy people, right? We don't always have our act together. We have situations that need fixing that we can't fix. You ever feel powerless? We have questions that we can't answer. We have decisions to make that we don't know how to handle. Again, we've got whacked out relationships that tear at every fiber of our being sometimes. We see the demands of God's word to live righteously. We wonder how could we ever measure up. We look at our life as really poor obedience. How can we handle these kinds of things? Listen, is it hard to actually live out the Christian life? Is it difficult? Yes. Man, if it wasn't, more people would be doing it. Right? It's difficult to actually... It goes against our sin nature, and it goes against the world that we live in. We face demands much bigger than us. Let me tell you something. If we face life in our own power, we fail every time. So as we close, I want you to consider to whether the Holy Spirit is working in your life with Jesus as your Savior, and to what degree is the Holy Spirit in control of your life? Here's a question, a way that you can kind of put some analytics to it. Think think of it this way. In your life, are there areas of disobedience to God? Are there areas in your life where you feel like God is trying to push down your pride? God's trying to assert himself in some area of your life or areas in your life, but you keep wanting to assert yourself in that area of your life. In those places, there is a rub between you and me and the Spirit of God. And in those places and at those times and in those those uh, habits and thoughts, deeds, motives, that's when we are hindering the
the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So that's a question for us to, to, to answer between us and God this morning. Are there areas in my life where I'm living without the power of the Spirit of God because he's trying to take something away from me that I want to hold on to? Or he's trying to give me something that I don't want? Listen, we don't have to live without the Spirit of God. We really don't. We really don't. Um, he's been sent from the Father and the Son to live with us forever. How do you get the Holy Spirit? How do you have the Holy Spirit operating in your life? You trust Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Look to Jesus to handle your sin, your guilt, your problems. Submit your life to Jesus in Jesus' promises. He will send the Holy Spirit to be with you and be in you. And that's living, man. That's life.